0: Hello and welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, People Who Create, People Who Make a Difference, coming to you from WordSpace Studios in San Francisco, California. The show is on hiatus for the summer, so I'm digging into the archives for some great episodes from the recent past that are hopefully just as relevant and thought-provoking and entertaining now as they were when they were originally broadcast. On today's show, which aired in March of last year, I talk with San Francisco Bicycle Coalition's Communications Director, Chris Cassidy. We discuss the coalition's history, mission, and initiatives. Chris also clues us into the state of biking in San Francisco, including issues facing bikers and progress being made toward not only an increasingly bikeable city, but an increasingly bikeable world. Thanks for listening. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps, and I really appreciate it. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hey, check out my new book, Porcelain Travels, Humor, horror, and Revelation, In, On, and Around, Toilets, Tubs, and Showers. A number one bestseller in Amazon's travel, humor, and literary travel categories, and winner of four Solas Awards, including gold for humor. Publishers Weekly called Porcelain Travels offbeat and funny, and CBS travel editor Peter Greenberg called it a very funny book. You can also check out Porcelain Travels' companion podcast of the same name, which features recorded and live readings of excerpts from the book. Porcelain Travels is available in paperback and ebook on Amazon.com and other online retailers. Chris Cassidy joined the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition in May of 2015 following five years of public relations, messaging, and online organizing, consulting with Nonprofits, progressive campaigns, and technology ventures. Chris moved to San Francisco in 2005 and earned his JD or law degree from University of California Hastings in 2008. That same year, Chris worked on a campaign to increase affordable housing in Bayview Hunters Point, which for those of you who are not local to San Francisco is an economically challenged part of the city. Chris has since worked to advance reproductive rights, diversity in the tech industry, and civil rights across the country. When he's not working or biking, Chris likes to garden, hike, and grill with his family and friends. Welcome, Chris. So glad to be here, Matthew. And I'm glad to have you here. So given all your other interests, how did you end up focused on biking? Uh, great question. You know, I think for a lot of us at the Bicycle Coalition,
1: we definitely have very different relationships with biking. I've got some colleagues who will literally show up from a camping trip with their camping gear on their bikes on a Monday morning. Wow. Uh, and then there's a lot of folks more more like me who are just city boys, city folks and commuters. Uh, and I've always commuted by bike, started commuting by bike in college when I was at Western Washington University. And uh, I started doing it because I couldn't afford uh, any other means of transportation. Somewhere out of necessity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and it's grown to be something that I've really enjoyed. I've gotten into mountain biking in college. But uh, these days I bike with my family. We live car free in, in Oakland in the Fruitvale neighborhood. Uh, and it makes commuting, it makes getting to where we need to be really enjoyable. Uh-huh, uh huh. So, uh huh. It, so it's just a fantastic way to get around the city. And obviously, there's a, something valuable about doing it in a carbon free way.
0: Right, right. Yeah, we've got enough carbon in the air already. We uh, don't need to add to so it, it if, we, if we can help it, right? So I have a selfish question because um, it seems to me that I saw in the news, and I did not have time to research this, but I thought, why would I research this when Chris is going to have all the answers? It seems to me that there was something in San Francisco where we passed some legislation several years ago, way back, and we were going to expand our biking infrastructure and then it got held up in courts. And then it seems as if two or three or four years ago, time flies, all of a sudden we started getting these bike paths and I had heard something. And I, like I said, I didn't pay that much attention where there was some legal block that had been removed and then we were able to kind of move forward. Am I making that up or is there something... Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah. There was a period of years where there were a lot of bicycle lanes planned in the city that were held up in court because there was somebody who filed a lawsuit saying that, you know, these bike plans, they're not going through sufficient environmental review. Maybe there needs to be more review of the environmental impact of bike lanes. Uh, And really, it was an abuse of California um, environmental review laws. Isn't that
0: kind of ironic that a bike path would be considered not environmentally friendly? Isn't that kind of the point?
1: I think you're onto something there. And of course, I can't speak for the people who filed that lawsuit. Right. Um, But it was folks who uh, are not super supportive of the city encouraging more people to pedal around our streets. Right. Um, So, yeah, there were a period of years where that lawsuit was going on. And then, it was this fantastic moment when the lawsuit was resolved in favor of uh, the bike lanes advancing. Right. And the SFMTA had done a great job of creating this huge backlog of wonderful bike lanes all across San Francisco. And there was this massive flood of implementation where bike lanes just seemed to be popping up all over the place. For right. Period.
0: right. And that was my impression. And that that's was right. that was a good thing. But you say they did an amazing job of creating this backlog. So that's to say that they were still planning all these bikeways and just waiting for when the legislation was such that they could move forward that's right yeah the city
1: agency the sfmta is in charge of obviously the muni system which is the buses and trains uh, but also redesigning our streets uh, when there's an opportunity related to say repaving Uh, if you're going to repave a street you might as well consider hey is this the safest street design? Can we make any improvements so that we can encourage healthier ways of getting around our city if we're going to repave? Um, and the SFMTA continued diligently doing that work despite the fact that implementation of their bike lane plans was held up in court. Yep. They were still able to make plans and and like I said, create this backlog of fantastic bike lane projects all over San Francisco. Great,
0: great, awesome. So thank you for answering that longstanding question that I've had. Um, so I want to start with some general sort of relatively high-level questions, and then I want to discuss your latest five-year plan, which I looked at in some detail uh, yesterday and this morning, and then uh, and then talk about some of your specific initiatives. But um, if you could summarize in one sentence the state of biking in San Francisco today, what would you say? I'd say it's gotten a lot better since I started biking here uh, over 10 years ago, but
1: we have our work cut out for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, something about San Francisco uh, that has come out of the city's embrace of Vision Zero, which is the city's promise to eliminate... Severe collisions and, and fatal collisions mm-hmm. uh, by 2024 is they've started tracking data, which is really important. And using both police data and hospital data, now we know that on 70%, or excuse me, there are just 12% of San Francisco streets where 70% of severe collisions occur. Really?
0: Really? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: for instance, your you guys' studio is very close to Market Street. Market Street is. Uh, very important street, obviously, in San Francisco, cutting through the heart of San Francisco to uh, where most of the jobs in San Francisco are that uh, have uh, you know fueled this booming economy and affordability crisis that we're experiencing. Market Street has four of the twenty deadliest intersections in San Francisco really? as well. Yep, not yeah. surprising. One of the busiest streets in San Francisco, uh, one of the most bike streets in all of North America. So I don't doubt it. Something I'm really excited about that we're working on, and I think you know, casually we refer to this here and there in inside conversations as the White Whale, but there's a market street project called the better market street project
0: which is on your website right now it's the feature story
1: we are pretty emotionally invested in this one we're talking about 2.2 miles on one of the most bike streets in north america all the way from the embarcadero to octavia and octavian market's been identified as one of the deadliest intersections in all of the country
0: really that's right uh literally a block because people are coming off the highway right there is that why or part of it at least
1: that's that's part of it uh speed is always uh, a consideration when you're talking about uh dangerous intersections or dangerous corridors um, right turns uh, has been an issue there uh, so anyway the better market street project promises to deliver 2.2 miles of physically protected bike lanes uh, to one of the most bike streets in North America which is really really exciting uh, and I say that not just because of how that could change how San Franciscans get around our city but I say it to somebody who bikes market street every single day and, and right. just did it you know 20 minutes ago to get right. here right uh, it's
0: not a treat. No, it's not a treat. you know, I, uh, I haven't done it for a couple of years, but there was a time, two or three, actually, maybe it's longer than that, say more five or six years ago, where I was commuting from the mission down Market Street to go downtown. And I, I, there were it seemed as if there were literally more bikes than cars, first of all, which is good because we'd rather have bikes than cars like we've already talked about. but but still, there were so many bikes that it was I was in a different sort of traffic jam. Almost. And it was tricky because you still had buses, you still had pedestrians, you still have so much going on um, that, yeah, it was tricky. So to hear that you guys are in presumably other agents, agencies and the cities and things are the city and things are working to come up with a, a better way of, of, of making use of market and turning it is... Uh, is good to know.
1: Yeah, you know, I think Market Street feels congested no matter how you're getting around it. Yes. And that's yep. only increased with the proliferation of Uber and Lyft, which, uh, you know, they've had a really dramatic impact on our city in a couple different ways. Can you hold that thought? Because yeah. I
0: want to I want to talk to you about that, yeah, about how you guys, there. if and how you guys um, work with them on educating their drivers, because it came up repeatedly when I was doing my preparation for this show, In your initiatives to get people out of the uh the the uh not not to double park in the bike lanes and that kind of stuff so i want to talk about that um shortly but um let's see in 2000 okay we'll kind of talk about how the situation has changed recently but then in 2016 uh an article you noted that quote over the past 10 years we've seen a 184 percent increase in the number of bike trips taken in our city so i presume that was a year a couple years ago but i presume the numbers just continue to go up. Is that a fair assumption, or?
1: Yeah, you know, the popularity of biking is actually growing faster than that of any other mode of transportation in San Francisco. Yep. So uh, the city has had a longstanding goal of increasing bike trips because uh, when folks bike, they're personally healthier. They show up at work more energized, and our city's healthier as a result, with uh, air quality being improved. Um, if those bike trips are replacing trips in single individual motor vehicles for instance um so yeah biking has continued to grow and i think that's really a testament to the city's ability to deliver infrastructure that feels welcoming and inviting to more people Mm -hmm. um so what i'm talking about when i say infrastructure that feels welcoming more biking that's more and better bike lanes and and particularly i think we as a city and the sf bicycle coalition as an organization has really pivoted to saying you know not just any old bike lane is going to do paint is not enough we need physically protected bike lanes on corridors throughout our city. Specifically so tell us what that means. Corridors.
0: Yeah. Tell us what a protected bikeway is, because you, I will tell you that when Market Street became a protected bikeway, it was a dream come true. Right. I mean, just to ride down Market Street and have the, the barrier and it was like, Oh, I can actually breathe. And to your earlier point, I can also appreciate kind of what's going around, uh, going on around me. I can, be present on my bike ride without wondering what's coming at me from all these 10 different directions. So for people who aren't familiar with what that means, a protected bikeway. could you explain?
1: You bet. There are so many different kinds of treatments that cities can use to develop protected bike lanes. And actually what you've identified on Market Street is the least protected form okay. of a protected bike lane. What, okay. w- what you're identifying, I believe, is plastic bollards. Yes. Uh, those are those white soft-hit posts that line the bike lane on Market Street for certain stretches. Um, but there's actually even better ones. Uh, and in fact, the Better Market Street project has even better ones coming. So uh, another example of a protected bike lane, and perhaps one of the best, uh, is concrete safety barrier delineating the bike lane from faster-moving traffic Even better. Brands. Even so we've better. we've got that on San Jose Avenue in San Francisco. Oh, really? Francisco. Okay. Which is a super important corridor for connecting the southern neighborhoods to the rest of the city. Um, Another example that's been uh, increasingly popular, especially because you can fastly implement it because construction costs are so low and and construction timelines so low, is parking protected bike lanes. So where where you've got a street where there's... Golden Gate Park, I think they do that, right? That's exactly right. On JFK Drive on Golden Gate Park is a great example. What they've done there is they took the parallel parking and they just moved it away from the curb so that the bike lane could be between the parallel parked cars and the curb. And this is definitely a treatment that uh, isn't perfect. You I was going to say, do
0: people get it? It seems like there may be a little learning curve there.
1: I think you're right. And especially in a place like Golden Gate Park where there's a lot of tourist traffic uh, and folks might not be familiar with this kind of infrastructure, you you might end up with folks you know, wandering into the bike lane. So um, it's great in that it's an improvement. It's a lot better than when the bike lane was between the parked cars and the faster moving traffic, but it's far from perfect.
0: But I can say uh as a as a vote in favor that I because I walk there a few times a week I have a loop where I walk through Golden Gate park and people seem to get it and it definitely seems um, again I would be more comfortable biking having the car between me the, the parked cars between me and the road and I don't see people usually parked in the bike lane so much anymore maybe maybe initially that was the case um, but it seems to be a good a good uh, approach although of course you would know more about that than me but before we get uh, go into more kind of specifics related to how we're addressing some of these issues and improving the infrastructure and that sort of thing can you tell us just a little bit about how the coalition got started a little bit about its history who yeah. started it when did it get started just to give people a little bit of background
1: you bet so the sf bicycle coalition is one of the oldest and largest city based bicycle advocacy groups in the country it was founded in 1971 and there was not a single bike lane in san francisco at that not time. a single one not a single one interesting Today, yeah. there are over 222 miles of bike lanes in our really? city really and that is because not that we have done a good job. The people who are there now, necessarily, you know, we're always striving to to do the best work that we can do. But honestly, we stand on the shoulders of giants.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, the folks that came before us in the SF Bicycle Coalition, uh, I- including the members, our ten thousand plus members, yep. have done just an incredible job of repeatedly showing up and speaking out in favor of improving how we get across our city. And that's made our city not just more enjoyable and welcoming for people biking, but But also, it's made our city a safer place to get around for everyone. Right. It's made our city a better place to walk.
0: So it got started in the 70s. I was interested to see that it kind of went dormant for a little while in the 80s, but then it was refounded in the 90s, which I thought was really interesting. And then something particularly, I think, important to your mission. Uh, Actually, I should say our mission because I am a member. I didn't say that. Maybe I have some sort of ethical obligation to say that insofar as I don't know. Uh, But our mission, I guess. But I, I haven't really done that much other than, you know. Contribute occasionally, and hopefully, hopefully, I'm helping now. But um, the mission being in 2012, or how you really uh, changed things to to further your mission, is um, you changed the the legal status of the organization so that you could actually. Um, uh, endorse political candidates and that's so right. you really became a much more politicized organization and now you endorse candidates and can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah you bet so legally speaking if we want to get really boring and legally let's get about really it.
0: boring I try to bore my listeners as much as I can you <laughs> well, know I'm trying helped. to lower the numbers as much as I can here yeah
1: so we've got a 501c3 which is our just basic nonprofit you know that's where your membership dues go and you get tax deductible uh they're tax deductible right uh, effectively right but we also have a c4 which permits us to endorse in elections and that includes the June 5th election for District 8 Board of Supervisors member in San Francisco, as well as the mayoral election that's coming on June 5th. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in San Francisco, this is the first time in 10 years where we've got two elections in one year. We've got November elections as well oh. for every single even-numbered district on hmm. the Board of Supervisors. Hmm.
0: I'll have to check what number mine is. Yeah. So uh, for instance, actually, I, I, I do. I'm seeing. I'm already seeing the posters and stuff around for candidates. So oh, clearly, yeah. yeah. So clearly, I'm I'm one of the evens, I guess.
1: Yeah. So um. So the way that we We operate in terms of our endorsements is our members are at the core of everything we do. They're the reason that we have the access that we do inside City Hall, that we uh, have the stature that we do, and that we're able to to deliver the change that we do. It's all our members. Uh, So our endorsements process, process begins by asking members, hey. Who should we endorse? And member voting just closed on our endorsements for June 5th uh, mayoral election and District 8 Board of Supervisors member. Um, And then we take that information and uh, the advice of staff and deliver that to the board of directors, who then uh, is a member elected body who decides on our endorsements. So we're looking forward to resolving those soon, I think.
0: Yeah. And just to talk just to sort of affirm how grassroots you really are and how much you actually do listen to your um, to your members. The reason I heard about these elections is I was, again, I was in the panhandle, and you had people standing there handing out um, um, flyers related to these elections and things. So you were very making, you know, going out into the field to make sure that people knew about that and could actually participate in the elections. So... I thought that was fantastic.
1: Yeah, and, you know, people power, not, it's not just something that uh, is at the base of everything we do, but we've enshrined it also. As you mentioned, you read the new strategic plan that we just passed. Uh, people power is one of the four guidelines uh, for how we approach our work. We try to keep people and grassroots power at the at the center of everything that we do.
0: Which is a perfect segue to my next set of questions. I so I was going to say uh, here, you know, I didn't have time to go through it all. Or we don't. I Actually, I did go through it all. We don't have time now to go through it all. This is their your 2018 to 2018. 22 strategic plan, um, because even at a high level, it's very comprehensive, and it was very detailed, and I was very impressed. Um, so what I did is, for the sake of our conversation, as I just sort of picked and chose um, some goals and objectives that I was most curious about. Uh, and I've also paraphrased a little bit in the interest of time. So your core values you just mentioned, you've got transportation justice, sustainability, people power, but the fourth one I really loved and appreciated because it's joy, And I love that because I think that biking is often and should be about joy. And sometimes in the city, it's not so joyous and we might lose sight of that a little bit, although hopefully that's why most of us are doing it on some level. But also I love that because I couldn't help but wonder how the world might be different if more organizations included joy as as one of their core values and not just as a marketing ploy, but really as getting to our humanity and kind of making that part of how we operate and why we operate and factoring again, that sort of human element into to how we do things. So anyway, thank you for including that as uh, core value number four. But let's talk about the goals. So your plan is broken into five main goals, each of which is broken into multiple objectives. And goal one is demand high quality infrastructure, which we've already talked about a little bit, and push for visionary improvements to connect the city. And again, under each goal, there are multiple objectives. So the first objective here, Uh, is, now I guess we already talked about this, because this is the protected bike lane stuff, but it was established physically protected bike lanes as a standard for bike improvement. So we don't need to revisit that. I guess the only thing that I would mention relative to that point, though, two things. One is I just saw this morning on uh, Mission Local that Valencia Street just got protected. They got the, um, what are they called? The rubber... What did we just call those? Or plastic bollards. Yeah, so apparently those just got installed. So that was cool. But you're a little hesitant there. You're not so excited. Tell us.
1: It's an improvement for sure. So what they did is they uh, they painted a double solid striped line delineating the bike lane from faster moving traffic lanes. And you know, Valencia has (laughs) been... We've seen a lot of... Differences for how it feels to travel on Valencia. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, when they first striped the what are now the unprotected bike lanes that uh, are no longer sufficient, it was a massive success. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was one of the first north south uh, bike routes in San Francisco to have a space specifically for people biking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a really big deal. With the prolati- pro- proliferation of Uber and Lyft, and I know we're going to touch on that later. Yep. Um, Valencia is not a joy, and like market, Valencia is another street that I bike every single day, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and it's stressful. It's tough, yeah. There are delivery vehicles and passenger drop-offs and pick-offs happening uh, on every single block of my evening commute. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, um, yeah, so th- they have put up some soft hit posts specifically on spaces by the parklets. Those are those little spaces mm-hmm. that have converted parking spaces into public sitting and, you know, gathering places. Um, but it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. Fortunately, right. though, the city is looking at... Constructing physically protected bike lanes for the entirety of Valencia. And we're okay. talking about, you know, from Tiffany Street down by where Valencia combines with uh, mission. Caesar Chavez, yeah. That's right, down mm-hmm. by Cesar Chavez, yep. a little past Caesar Chavez. Yep. Um, all the way up to Market Street. Okay. And that's gonna be a really big improvement. And you know, that's another example of how people power is really at the core of our work because that whole campaign got started because some of our members started forming people protected bike lanes and drawing oh, really? attention. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So literally putting their bodies on the the line between oh, wow. the bike lane and the faster moving so what lanes. they would
0: just do that say during rush hours to bring attention to the and they would literally stand there sort of locking hands or and they would invite media
1: and oh, they would invite I missed uh, that. supervisor jeff Sheehy he was out at one of those okay and they had uh, a uniform of sorts of a, a yellow shirt for safety purposes and yeah. visibility that said yeah. people protected bike lanes oh, very and cool. they're out there with their children and their bikes and they're physically protecting the bike lanes with their bodies really uh, imaginative work uh, that you know to even come up with that idea I think is really cool and right. then to organize your fellow people on bikes to get out there turn out uh, make it this huge visibility campaign that really is what set in motion the city's uh, project right now for developing a physically protected bike lane on Valencia
0: and I think it just fits in so well with, um, you know, I thanked people in my introduction, which of course you didn't hear, but I thanked people who went to yesterday's march for our lives. And one of the points I made that not I made, but everyone that went to the to, to those marches made was, you know, it's, it's of course the politicians matter and they're going to play a role, but we can't rely on the politicians and it really does come down to the individual. So just like what we saw yesterday in this mass demonstrations, that's just yet another perfect example. And I love that example because it shows us that it did produce concrete, tangible, lasting change. And so people power. Yeah. All, the, Amen our, all power, power. rests with the people. Okay. So I had a couple, I was going to touch on objectives two and three, but we keep almost getting to objective four. So let's just go there. Um, and objective four of this goal is work to eliminate double parking and illegal loading and unloading and bike lanes. And we keep, like I said, kind of going there. So let's just go there. I assume, and you've kind of said this or inferred this at least, that the biggest culprits here are the ride shares. I'm sure there's some delivery people and things, but I might cut them a little bit more slack, depending on the situation. Um, But Uber isn't exactly known for its socially progressive policies or spirited collaboration with local governments and organizations. But So I'm wondering, does the coalition work with companies like Uber and Lyft and others on educating their drivers? I mean, are those organizations amenable to having those conversations?
1: That's a really great question. Uh, The only folks we're absolutely barred from working with, based on our founding legal documents, are fossil fuel companies. We Mm, do not uh take uh any Funds, or we do not collaborate with fossil fuel companies. Right, uh, and you know, recently we've also talked about making sure that we're not working with any companies that are producing guns or ammunition. Right. So, for instance, uh, it was recently um, put public, I divulged guess, or, yeah, divulged, right. Revealed, yeah. that uh, there are manufacturers of bike parts and bike helmets that are owned by companies that produce guns and ammunition. Sure, so sure. Uh, we're working on making sure we're not working with those companies. As well, well.
0: REI, REI just had the same thing, right? They discovered that a lot of their camping equipment, I can't remember exactly what the equipment was, but yeah, because these companies are so huge and we don't always know. Yeah, right? that's exactly yep. right. Yeah. Massive yeah. conglomeration.
1: Yeah. Um, so when it comes to Uber and Lyft, uh, I think it's, we can just honestly say they've had a very negative impact on our city, on safety. On congestion on air quality um, but that's not gonna bar us from working with them if we can improve how if we can improve the impact they're having on our city right so you know one thing that we did and I, I wouldn't say this is a massive success but I'm glad that we did it because we learned from it uh, and that was we consulted on for the production of four videos that uber sent to every single person driving okay, great using their platform right uh, and I think those videos are fantastic uh, we don't have data on how many people opened to them, how many people viewed them, how it changed behavior. It's not like
0: Uber gave them tests afterwards to make sure they had actually watched or that it had sunken in. Or, but sure. at, least, at least you got the word out. Yeah, we to got some the word degree, out. To some degree. I think, you know, we learned... And they were willing to do it.
1: They were willing to do it. I think we learned that um, for Uber, I'm not sure if it was actually a dedication to improving safety or looking like they were improving right. safety. Right, uh, With recent events uh, highlighting how neglectful they can be. and They could
0: use some PR help.
1: Oh, they could use a lot of help. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we are interested in working with organizations like this. And, you know, actually, maybe even a bigger success that's more recent. Just this past week, we've been asking Uber and Lyft to use geofencing on their platform. That is to say, they can geographically determine where a passenger can or cannot be picked up or dropped off. So if you go to say, if you go to an Oakland, or if you go to a Golden State Warriors game, mm-hmm. there's a very specific place at Oracle Arena where passengers have to be picked up and dropped off. Right. And that is because Uber's able to see where the driver is and there can be consequences if they pick up or drop off outside of that specific space. Right. We've been asking them to use this on busy uh, commercial corridors well, like that's Valencia a great idea. Right, right. for years. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, Lyft just announced this past week only for one block, only a pilot. But it's a start. Between 16th and 17th. They're no longer doing, I forget if it's drop-offs or pick-offs. It's one or the other. So could that's be a awesome. lot more robust, right? Yeah. But it's, it's a good experiment.
0: Well, and that is how it starts, right? Yeah. They have to pilot it. They have to make sure it works for them, that the customers are still, you know, cool with it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, that's good news. Yeah. And, and I hope it's, it's a success.
1: It's great, too, also for people
0: getting out of lifts. Mm-hmm.
1: Nobody wants to get out of a lift. And, you know, I've been doored by a taxi. in Washington, D.C. And it was scary, not just for me, but the person getting out of that taxi. Oh, sure. Uh, Nobody should be exposed to that kind of a dangerous or scary situation. So it's great for Lyft's customers. It's great for everybody who bikes in San Francisco. And it's great for improving the safety of Valencia.
0: Right. Are there any other groups, because we've kind of focused on the car shares, but again, those aren't the only, those are certainly huge with regards to numbers and impact. But are there any other, I mean, do you work with, you know, uh, delivery companies. Do you work with any other groups of professional drivers to try to educate them? And are there groups that are again amenable and open to to kind of having those conversations?
1: Yeah, you bet. You know, we train we train a lot of professional drivers. Actually, it's a huge part of our work. Oh yeah. Um, most recent one I believe was the tech buses operated by the company Genentech. Oh yes. Uh, we trained over a hundred of their drivers uh, recently on one Saturday afternoon. Uh, so it's. Really important work to train professional drivers, because these are the folks that are on our streets more than you and me. They're having an adverse impact on street safety. So if we can reach those folks with best practices for how to drive uh, around people biking, then that's kind of something we see as really important to get out there and do. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So we could talk a lot more about that, but you have too many other interesting things going on. So let's jump to the next objective, which is, and this is another selfish one I'm just curious about, ensure bike access and capacity on bridges and local and regional transit. Now, what's the deal on the Bay Bridge? Because we got the new span, finally. Now the, 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 the bolts are no longer falling out, and we finally finished that. Uh, and I think they, they put, there is a bike lane on the new span, right? But there's not one on the old one. So is there anything being done there? And I mean, you can't, I mean, it's an old bridge, so I get it. But at the same time, it's kind of sad to victoriously ride out to the middle of the bay and get marooned. So is there anything being done to address that? I suspect there is, but...
1: Yeah, as somebody who has uh, made that ride out from Oakland to Treasure Island on the new East Span, uh people path... It does feel weird being marooned out there. It, yeah. You know, uh, there, there's a really cool space now, though, uh, to recreate and hang out and see the Oakland skyline.
0: So there's a destination, sort of. Yeah. To a degree, but yeah. the streets
1: out there, even to get from, it's actually Yerba Buena Island where the landing is, even to get from Yerba Buena Island to Treasure Island, a little bit north, the infrastructure is rough. It does not feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and as you note. There's still no bike path or people path on the western side. So wait,
0: is this a term I'm not familiar with? So people path is that the way that we refer to? So it's more sort of all encompassing. It's not just about. It's basically any path that's not for cars. Or how do we define people path?
1: Yeah, you know, we've been using the term people path specifically for the east span of the Bay Bridge. Oh, okay. And also for Mansell Street through McLaren Park, San Francisco. Oh, so this is a very park. specific. Okay. Yeah, okay. and what both those spaces have in common is that they are car-free spaces where people can walk use their scooters, use their wheelchairs, use their bikes, what have you. Um, But there's no cars. So in the case of Mansell, what it used to be is two lanes of fast-moving traffic going both directions, separated by a big green median. And that's just not how you want your parks. Yeah. You know, so uh, the the victory we, we were able to achieve and that the city delivered was to have the two lanes on the left side Converted to two-way traffic, so it wasn't just going one way. Sure. So you can still get both ways if you're driving through Mansell Park, or excuse me, McLaren Park. But now the other two lanes on the right side, as you're facing west, right, right, <laughs> left. That's really helpful. Uh, uh, but those, that's now this incredible um, path where there's literally a lane for jogging. Okay. There's a lane for people walking uh, at a slower pace. Nice. There are two lanes for bikes, and it feels amazing. So yeah, we use the term "people path" for a car-free space. A Uh, A permanent car for you, say, space as opposed to, say, JFK Drive, which is only on Sundays and six months out of the year on Saturdays.
0: Right. So two questions. So one is I notice in your your uh, the terminology that you use um, that um, you talk about comfort and you talk about it feels good and you talk about. So there really is sort of this corporal sort of language. I mean, can you kind of speak to that versus just saying, oh, yeah, it's it's great because now we got a bike path. You're saying, no, this feels good and we want people to be comfortable. And it, to me, it's just sort of interesting that those seem like very deliberate choices and kind of reflective of a deeper philosophy about the biking experience and what you're trying to do as an organization.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it gets kind of back to that people power value. Yeah. That's enshrined in our strategic plan. And really, it's about empathy. And it's about... what's a human being's experience in this space and how can we uh, create a better experience for them Uh, and that's really how you get what you know transportation planners in the lingo call mode shift where you get people choosing to bike more often or choosing to walk more often or choosing to take transit more often and make healthier decisions not just for themselves but for our city as a whole
0: and they're not going to do that unless it is comfortable unless it is an easy experience and we yeah. are stuck in these right. in these bags of meat and right. they need right. to feel comfortable <laughs> if
1: you know like the, at the end at the end of the day maslow's hierarchy of needs like yeah. if it doesn't feel safe or comfortable you're i'm out of here
0: right another thing you just the second thing that i was going to ask about um we're going to go back an objective here uh this is one that i just skipped but you just mentioned it in your previous comment car free spaces cuz your third objective within this goal is expand car free spaces within parks and on city streets I don't really know any. Do we have car-free spaces in San Francisco other than Sundays in Golden Gate Park? Are there places that have been? I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah. So what spaces am I not thinking of?
1: That's great, great question. I mean, we do have Mansell in McLaren Park now, which is fairly new. I want to say a year and a half or so. I don't even know old. where that is. Where is that? Uh, so McLaren <laughs> Park, it's, a lot of folks don't know. Yeah. It's surprising because it's San Francisco's second largest park. Well, that's the thing. thing. I recognize
0: park. the name. I feel like I saw it in the news a year or two ago about... Did they redo it or something? I've, yeah. So it's kind of back there, but I couldn't tell you where it is. Yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, I think especially a lot of people that might look like you and me might not be as familiar with it because right. the neighborhoods are uh, generally like a low-income neighborhoods, people of color. Yep. We're talking about the Excelsior. Uh, we are talking about um, you know places like off of Glen Park, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Outer Mission. right? Um, and so, for instance, me, like I – had never been there before going out to those neighborhoods for bike and roll the school week uh, when I was new to my job. And there are amazing, flourishing neighborhoods and communities out there. Uh, And lo and behold, they have got the second largest park in our city.
0: Who knew? Uh, Other than them. Who live there. Right. Yeah. And now
1: there's the really beautiful space. And I think one of the things that's most exciting about it is... With the improvements to the space, which include Man's, the Mansell people path of development, it includes the McLaren bike park. There's a whole bike track and like jump area for you to go. Oh, for like, like BMX yeah. stuff? Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, it's being used not necessarily as a destination for outsiders to come in. It's being used by the community Excellent. that lives in and around uh, those neighborhoods bordering McLaren Park. So that's right. really exciting. In terms of other car-free spaces, you're right. Uh, besides the Mansell People Path, we've got JFK on Sundays year-round. Yep. We've got a smaller little bit of JFK on Saturdays, six months out of the year. They call that Healthy Saturdays. Okay. We're actually fighting to see that expanded, okay. uh, to be year round as well. Um, and then I mentioned the, the Better Market Street project. Well, that was—I was going was to ask something. you,
0: yeah, yeah, because we've talked a lot about shutting down Market Street to traffic. You see that in the news a lot, and I was wondering if that was part of the Better Market Street yeah, initiative. And
1: that's one of the most exciting things about it. You know, anybody who lives in or around San Francisco doesn't drive on Market Street. You got to be a nut a tourist to drive on market
0: street right it's horrible right so you just cross market street yeah you don't actually drive exactly. on it if you can help it use yeah.
1: the east west and the north south arterials um so why don't we just open market street up close down private auto uh, access and open it up to transit to make transit faster more reliable more enjoyable more likely to be taken right uh and we'll have one lane be transit and taxis, which are a regulated form of uh, transportation, as opposed to, say, Ubers and lifts, which are completely unregulated. Right. Uh, and let's make the other lane a completely protected, nice, wide bike lane that is actually elevated to the level of the sidewalk. And then you'll have physical delineations between the sidewalk area that's for people walking yep. and people biking.
0: So I lived in Istanbul for a year, and they shut down their main artery, the entire, it's called Caddesi, and they shut down the whole thing and it seems to have been just this massive success. And it's really, really long. And we're not talking about just a couple blocks. I mean, it was the main section of of the quote-unquote new part of town. Um, and I I know that they've done that elsewhere. And so is it safe to assume that when you guys are looking to do this here in San Francisco, that you're also looking at these other cities elsewhere in the world that have done this and saying, look, this has been done successfully elsewhere? Because I remember reading at different points. It's been a while since I've read something about this in, in the news. But I remember seems as if there's usually complaints by merchants and, and people in the, the city centers who say, well, we're, we're going to lose all our clients and this is just going to devastate our businesses. But I don't think that that's usually the case, right? Can no, you speak you know, to that
1: a little bit? You bet. When we open up streets, when we develop bike lanes, uh, when we make sidewalks wider, uh, when we make spaces more inviting, when we develop parklets and replace physical parking spots with yep. a little itty-bitty park, yeah, uh, merchants actually thrive. And... That doesn't mean that there's not going to be opposition to change. There's always going to be opposition to change, no matter what change you're talking yes, about. Change is, is uncomfortable, you know. Yes. Getting back to that empathy question, change can feel weird right. and dangerous and risky. Um, but what the data shows over and over again is when you change spaces to make them more inviting, the merchants thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the
0: parklets are always full. Yeah, I mean, you know, to your to your to that point.
1: I mean, yeah, you you and I could go down Valencia right now and and. Not find a might seat even, I was because gonna say, we are so busy. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Stand there with our coffees. Right. Um, but um, yeah, so we really see our work as, this is not just about people who bike. The San Francisco Bicycle Coalition works for every single person who lives, plays, or works in San Francisco. We're relieving congestion for everyone. We're improving safety for everyone. We are working to make things better for our merchants. Uh, and I would say like all merchants. You know, we're talking about mom and pop's, spots uh and you know everybody kind of on the whole spectrum
0: right right so i want to jump ahead here because we've talked mostly about um because i really want to get to your initiatives because i was really impressed because some of the initiatives i had never heard about like the burrito one for example which is so awesome but there are other ones that are fantastic i want to i really want to make sure we get there and i'm trying to be conscious of the time but there's something else In the interest of sort of a fair and balanced... Oh, God, I don't want to use that slogan. I can't believe where that even came from. I can't (laughs) believe I almost said that. Oh, God, how embarrassing. All right, I've got to figure out how to edit this. Um, Wow, I mean, they don't even say that anymore. Anyway, in in, in the interest of having a hopefully somewhat balanced conversation... Let's go to your goal four. So your goal four, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions here. Introduce San Franciscans of all ages, identities, and backgrounds to the joy of bicycling and encourage more San Franciscans to bicycle more often. Okay, great. Objective one of that goal, reach thousands of people through bicycle education and school safety programming, emphasizing rules of the road. Now, in your 2012-17 plan, which is the one that I had read, and I only saw your new one this morning, and then I had to redo all my notes, but I'm glad I saw the, saw the original one, um, you said there was one of the one of the goals or objectives was, quote, uh, increase San Franciscans awareness of their rights and responsibilities when on a bicycle via classes, outreach, events and media campaigns. So most of our conversation thus far has focused sort of on the cars and how do we make it safer for buying really from the bicycle perspective, which is obviously completely legitimate. But I have to say, as a San Franciscan, um, and I am someone, I walk out of my, you know, I, li- I live in a, there's a really busy intersection. I am I have a lot of pent up rage to, with regards to drivers. So I, I'm all there about, you know, if we can get the drivers to be more responsible, less reckless. Sometimes it's it's a risk to literally cross, cross the street where I live, you know, my intersection. So I'm on board with all of that. But at the same time, it's true as a biker that I see bikers run red lights. And I'm not talking about red lights in the middle of, the night where there's absolutely no car around for you know a mile. I'm talking about weaving in and out of traffic. I'm talking about on Market Street running red lights, and so each time I see that happen, I think, no, don't do that. You know, you're not helping the cause, right? And so, what does the um, the Bicycle Coalition do to help also educate the bicyclers or the bicyclists? On their responsibilities, because just like drivers have a responsibility and we talk a lot about their being reckless, they're not, they're double parking. But the same goes for the bikers. We have a responsibility. So what does the coalition do to kind of, you know, for that side of the house, that side of things?
1: Yeah, you bet. Well, we have an array of free bicycle education classes that uh, are across the whole spectrum from, hey, you're a grown up and never learned how to bike. It's not too
0: late. Okay. I loved that. That's one of your initiatives that I I thought that's so cool. And it makes such perfect sense. We're going to help. We're going to teach people how to bike. But that wouldn't have even occurred to me because it's almost too obvious. So when I saw that, I thought that that was great. But sorry. continue. Yeah. And
1: there are some really great stories that come out of that. For instance, uh, one of my colleagues, Julie, uh, we taught her how to bike. Oh, seriously? She went to Adult Learn to Ride. Now she works at the Bicycle Coalition. uh, And she voluntarily, on her own time, organizes adult practice rides in JFK Park.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Uh,
1: so, yeah, there's some really cool stories that have come out of that. But we also have, uh, you know, classes that are a little bit more advanced, like intermediate, or excuse me, um, all weather and night bicycling.
0: Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you
1: know, you can get around, but you're not comfortable in the rain. Hey, like, let's talk. Uh, all these classes are free. And every single one of our classes emphasizes the rules of the road. Yep. Uh, it's really important that people know their rights and responsibilities, of course. Uh, and it's also really important that we know what kind of obligations we have to each other uh you know as
0: bikers, you mean or or just as as citizens. Right. As people, right?
1: I mean, but people biking for sure. And you know, I would say also bad behavior does stand out. So, you know, when you're thinking about how to get across the city, uh you are gonna be seen as representing a larger community, no matter like who you are, where you are, how you get around, what you look like. Um so it is important I think to think about like what kind of behavior am I modeling? And what am I showing about who I represent? Um, But bad behavior occurs across, you know, as you mentioned, transportation modes. Right. And in addition to our education efforts, one of the most powerful ways we can change behavior is with design. Mm -hmm. Design is all about influencing people's decisions. Right. Um, And when we're talking about design relevant to people biking street design is hugely important to not just deterring but in some instances really good design can eliminate bad behaviors sure uh so for instance like with protected bike lanes uh they've got three or four soft hit posts outside of some of the parklets on valencia right now it's not enough Mm -hmm. there's still people double parking illegally and dangerously in the bike lane right and we need physically protected bike lanes there that's how design is going to improve the experience and behavior of folks on valencia
0: Okay, let's talk about some of your other initiatives because, like I said, there's, you've got so many good ones going on. Tell us about uh, the Community Bike Builds program.
1: That's such a good one. So, Community Bike Builds were only made possible when San Francisco as a city passed an ordinance that unclaimed bicycles in the hands of Muni. SFPD, uh, any city agency that just kind of like ends up with bikes that they don't know what to do with. They probably have two of mine
0: that I never saw again. (laughs) uh
1: Well, we've taken those now. Okay,
0: good, good. (laughs) Thanks to the city ordinance. Do something good with them and that's fine. That's exactly right. So (laughs) these
1: unclaimed bikes, they were just like sitting in warehouse space and taking up city funds uh, and nobody was calling about
0: I called. You didn't get my call. Clearly, you didn't get my call. I called <laughs> hey, over and city. over. I that's couldn't get city. in
1: Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> you take that up with San Francisco. But, and I will. <laughs> but in terms of the asset Bicycle Coalition's involvement, once the city has determined them to be unclaimed, yeah. then we get our hands on them. We take them to our warehouse space in Bayview-Hunters Point. What do we do with them? We fix them up. Often, they're in pretty bad, pretty states bad in shape. Pretty bad shape, right. Um, and then we work with community partners in Bayview-Hunters Point the Tenderloin, Chinatown, and other low-income communities where people might not have access to the joy of biking without somebody handing them a bike. Right, they need the bike. Yeah, so right, not only right. do we distribute bikes, but we also have
0: classes. So that folks that get these bikes, they know how to get around safely. They know the rules of the road. Okay, but tell me a little bit more, more about that because you have uh what's the name of the class here? You have there's a there's a uh urban intro to urban bicycling Um, I mean, I don't know if that's what you're talking about because that's also with Ford go bike, but I assume there's a lot of overlap. Why does someone tell us why someone would need to learn how to bike? I mean, I, I don't mean if they, if they already know how to actually use the bicycle, what do they need to learn? What skills, why can't they just take their bike and start, start riding around? What do they need to know? What are you teaching them?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question about intro to urban cycling. That class specifically is often people that are new to San Francisco, and you might be tempted to jump to say, "Oh, tech workers." Actually, it's it's really often uh, immigrants. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. that know how to you know stay upright on a bicycle, right? But come from a place where. The streets are designed completely differently.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, for instance, like that class has a lot of uh, South Asian uh, students. Uh, and, you know, if you're getting around a city in South Asia, that's a lot different than getting around a city in San- like San Francisco. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, what we're talking about there is okay, cool. You can stay upright on a bike, but how do you get around San Francisco? What do these signs mean? Okay. What is this lane for? Yeah. Where yeah. am I supposed to be when I stop at this intersection? Interesting. And really just kind of like, Okay, welcome. You want a bike here? Cool. Let's give you the tips and and tools you need to be able to do that safely. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Okay, cool. And then I think one of your, uh, maybe this is your biggest event, I would suspect, but of course, I don't know, Bike to Work Day. And that is coming up this year, Thursday, May 10th. Huge. And it's also the 24th anniversary of Bike to Work Day in the Bay Area. Congratulations. Uh, And you need over 300 volunteers to help make that happen. So tell us about the event itself rather quickly and because i have a couple more i have to ask you about and then also why do you need 300 volunteers
1: uh, I mean, it really gets to being a scrappy nonprofit and how people power is at the center of everything that we do. Uh, we have 26 service stations around Bike to Work Day during commute hours. Uh, and that is a place where uh, Bike to Work Day is the day where the SF Bicycle Coalition signs up more new and renewing members to our 10,000-member community than on any other day. So yep. hugely important for the movement, right? for our organization. And this and, is a
0: nation- nationwide or even international event, Bike to Work Day, uh, or No.
1: The Bay Area region has a slightly different bike to work day than most of the U.S. The U.S. does have a different bike to work day. May is bike month nationally, though. Okay. Uh, And on bike to work day in San Francisco, so many things going on. One of the cool things, uh, one of the coolest things about bike to work day is a quarter of our members. Report commuting by bike for the first time on bike to
0: work day and they're already members yeah interesting
1: but they look back and bike to work day was how they got going
0: oh so, you're saying that's how they get yeah they get yeah, started yeah oh, okay so uh-huh. bike to
1: work day is the number one day of the year for people who have been thinking about biking to actually give it a go for the first time okay
0: and again that is Thursday May 10th. So not too far off, like six weeks-ish, something like that. Yes,
1: and there are so many details at sfbikeorg slash BTWD, Bike to Work Day, BTWD. Which I will say
0: again at the end and make sure you get that. (laughs) I want to know about the burritos thing because that just seemed like such a cool initiative as well. So tell us about the Burrito Project SF.
1: Yes, yes. So uh, this is actually uh, not an event that we organize as an organization. Uh It it is, uh, we maintain a community calendar and anybody with a bikey event can put events up on our calendar so you know it's the one-stop spot for hey is there something bikey going on this weekend i'll go to SF bikey. Events. is that the adjective uh yeah bike-y? maybe yeah. it's hyphenated i, don't know. I like it how, how no it speak? works what's AB style on bikey yeah, uh, yeah i don't know well,
0: I'll, I'll check later yeah <laughs> so, it's bikey i like it um
1: so there are members of ours that organize i want to say it's a monthly event where they literally are making uh vegetarian burritos and going around by vegan. bike by the way vegan, vegan i noticed yep. even more ethical yep. more so, inclusive you. here yep um Um, and they're going around by bike and distributing these to folks that look like they might need a meal. Awesome. Uh, so it's a really cool expression of where they are as people. Uh, and and that was
0: my reaction. So he just put his hand on his heart when he said that. And that was my reaction when I read it. I was just like, Oh, it just seems like such a heartful thing to do. And I'm sure the people obviously who are receiving the burritos are you know, ridiculously happy and it's just a win-win sort of thing. So it just sounds like a great initiative. The last thing I want to ask you about in our last 60 seconds is also something that I don't know that is actually your event, but you're associated with it, which is the SF bike party. Mm. And that is the first Friday at 8 p.m. every month. And the thing that I thought was um, so cool because... Um, what, what did it used to be called? That, that did this used to be uh, Critical Mass? Uh, no, these are separate things. Separate I think things.
1: Critical Mass is still going. Is it still going? Um, yeah. And real different vibes for these events. Yeah. Critical Mass is like a very much like a, a direct action. Activists. Hey, we're taking space. Ah. Right. Uh, and I think it was specifically, especially important in the '90s, where it's like you know, like we have rights too, and that was in question, honestly, as right. people who bike. Right. Uh, these days, little different situation, maybe. Um, but SF Bike Party, not our event, but. Yeah, I know some of the organizers, and they're great people, and it's just a beautiful space. to Okay, come well, together.
0: here's here's also why it stood out besides the fact that it's just a good idea in general. But one of the one of the parts of the event is it says it's a monthly celebration of biking with stops to dance and socialize along the way. So you just you just stop what in the streets or you stop at clubs or how does that work?
1: <laughs> Usually, I think it's at a park space yeah, or some yeah. other open space. Um, but yeah, if you have You've probably seen, listeners, you've probably seen SF Bike Party and been like, whoa, what the heck was that crazy right. light show on bikes going by with yes. a whole bunch of music?
0: Yes. So it's a thing. And yes. you can find
1: out details at sfbike.org slash events in terms of how to show up. Uh, like Matthew said, it's the first Friday of every month. Uh, and it's just a blast. They also have an East Bay Bike Party uh, yes. that tends
0: to be in Oakland or Berkeley. It's uh, also a real fun time. Awesome. Awesome. Chris, this was a pleasure. I think we covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for coming in. And just one last time, let me throw out Bike to Work Day is Thursday, May 10th. SF Bike Party is the first Friday in April, which will be April seven. And anything else specifically to call out as in closing? Are those uh, the two big... And then sfbike.org, of course, is the website. sfbike.org.
1: Yeah, and if folks want to get tied into any of our campaigns to really change how we get around San Francisco, change our streets, uh, you can always get the latest information at sfbike.org slash news. And they, they need people to help with,
0: with the bike day, with um, Bike to Work Day. They we need 300 volunteers. So volunteer, and that's a great way to get started. Thank you again, Chris. Don't go anywhere. Uh,